Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Welcome to another episode of Anime World Order. It's uh, been a little while. Blame that on the con season starting up or whatever we want to do. Probably we should be blaming it on Overwatch, but uh, we won't say that. (laughs) This is episode 155 of the Anime World Order podcast. I am Gerald Rathgold, and with me, as always... This is Daryl Surratt. And this is Clarissa. We are here today to uh, talk about anime and manga and all the stuff that you guys love. And we've been here for over 10 years now, and we'll probably be here for at least another 10. So, if you want to contact us, please do. Our email is animeworldorder at gmail.com, or leave us a comment on the animeworldorder.com blog. Read all of those and love hearing from you. Anyway, we tend to get so far into these things without uh, actually mentioning what we're going to be talking about. This episode, I'm going to be talking about a show from last season... So, relatively new for us, although last episode we did do Flying Witch, which was also relatively recent. That was a year old, I'm though. To... This is now only a couple of months old. This is true. Yeah, this is pretty recent for us. This is a very strange show. A show that didn't appear strange to anybody else except me, so maybe I'm the odd no, one I'm out. I'm pretty sure that it appeared strange to everybody, and it may have been <laughs> one of those many shows that every time one of these shows comes out... People look at the thumbnail and the title in the first episode and say, oh, my God, it's a show about this. And then you get a wave of people who jump in and say, you ignorant, judgmental pricks. It's nothing to do with that. It's totally different. It's this instead. And then the show comes out and then the end happens and then flip a coin as to whether or not, oh, it actually was what everyone thought it was after all. But I guess we will discuss that. And that is our show, folks. That's No, no, no. That's uh, we haven't no, actually that is, said the show yet. No, that's that is the saga of Tanya the Evil. It just got a little bit of notice around there, but the show <clears> was <throat> fascinating to me because it seemed like such a like weird, trashy show, but then people were saying it was actually really good, and so we had to delve into the mystery and find out for ourselves. Now, I will tend to choose stuff to review not based upon whether or not I like it, but based upon if it sparks something in me to make me think about something. Like, like if I hate the show, but I hate it in an interesting way, I find that more interesting than a show that I like that I predictably like. Sure. This is foreshadowing for yes. what we are about to hear in just a moment. Possibly, but yes. I, what was the last time we actually got an episode out? Because I'm thinking so much has happened in the world of Japanese animation that early May... Yes. Uh, when we put out the last one, it's now late June. So much has changed. So much, in fact, that believe it or not, hell is frozen over. Oh my and God! We have been told that Blue Uru is officially in production, the, and that the, has been twenty-five years of waiting Gynax for that. Threatening. We'll see if there it actually comes out. Follow-up to Royal Space Force. We will see if that actually happens because, again, that. And even if it does, I I don't know if I have any confidence that it will actually be good. 
Right. That thing that existed that made Wings of Oniamis, it existed for like seven years. Whatever that thing was, that group of people, that interest, that zeitgeist, whatever it was. Then everybody separated and everybody changed. And that doesn't exist anymore then. We're seeing another one with that that really made me think about that was the announcement that we are in fact getting the Pat Labor reboot is a go. Yeah, that looks cool. It's everybody else in headgear except Mamoru Oshii. And so what fascinates, well, no, here's what's fascinating to me. The Animator Expo short for the Pat Labor reboot that sort of seeded the concept, that was everybody else except Oshii. And everyone watched that and it's like, wow, this is pretty damn good. It did, yeah. It looked really good. it was really good. And then Oshii was like, fuck all of you. I'll make my own Pat Labor. I'm (laughs) the architect of this. And so he made Pat Labor the next generation in live action because Oshii fancies himself a live action director. And... It was not, in fact, the next generation. It was, I'm going to take all the exact same characters and change their names slightly because it's a live action thing. And I have to say it's set years later. And then he made a live action sequel film to an animated movie from 25 years ago. Guess what? Nobody watched these things and they did not have the money to look good. And so the gap between like the creative split of those, it's going to be very interesting to see who had the magic all along. There's just been another story that Studio Kara and their lawsuit against Gainax has come to a head, and now Gainax owes Studio Kara like a ton of money for Evangelion royalties because Hideaki Anno left Gainax, started Studio Kara, which is also behind a lot of these Animator Expo shorts, and wouldn't you know it, Gainax is having some sketchy reputations with money. Who took the money and who is not paying what? And so... It would be very interesting because when the Evangelion reboot movies came out, that was kind of like, Anno is like, I'm doing this. And people were liking it for a bit. And then the third one came out and everyone was like, oh, Jesus Christ, what our whole lives were lies. The V guy renounced Evangelion and has never been seen again. <laughs> now they have to make a fourth movie, not the rest of Gynax. And then Gynax, meanwhile, they're struggling. Like, what's the last great Gynax show that wasn't by people who have since left Gainax to either be Kara or Trigger. That wasn't by that people? Because I was going to say, was Kill a Kill Gainax? Kill a Kill was the first Trigger show. Okay. And and that was the people who, you know, left Gainax after Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt. So I would have said Panty and Stocking, but that was the same people that left. Right. So who is left in Gainax to be the people who made such great things that we know them for? That's what I always keep saying. Like, even... For many, many years, I'm like, they're coasting on past notoriety. Yeah. And most of those people aren't there anymore. But most people just know the studio name, Gynax. They don't know, like, the inner shufflings of who is there and who's not. But we can look at the Blue Uru announcement image and see, like, okay, Sadamoto is still there doing the art designs. Yeah. Hiroyuki Yamaga is still there, you know, as the writer and director. People argue that... He was secretly the true writer of Gunbuster, only they took his name off of it and replaced it with Okada and Ano. And I'm like, aren't you the president of Gainax? How did you get superseded on authority to have your name take? But he, you know, he claims that he's the true writer of Gunbuster based on, like, I don't know, whatever. I don't know if that's true. All I know is that the credits do not say Hiroyuki Yamaga wrote Gunbuster. Yeah, it's very weird. When it comes to creative work, we forget that, you know, this is created by not, it's not usually created by one person. Created by one great man named Hajime Yadate. Yes. (laughs) It's created by a group of people 
and something came together that happened and they put all of their creative spirit together to come up with something. And when that's not there anymore, you're not going to get the same product as we saw with things like when the new Mass Effect game came out. That's not the same group of people that worked on the previous Mass Effect. When well, it, it's it's the guy who wrote the parts of Mass Effect that I don't like was given the free reins to have like the full keys to the kingdom, and that's what he made as far as writing. The director of Mass Effect, the original games, doesn't work there anymore. Correct. He works, he works at uh, Microsoft, and you know if we look at like another example, Mighty Number no. Nine, like, that was the perfect example also because. Yes. For many, many years, you know, Inafune had convinced everyone that he was the true mastermind of what made Mega Man great. But in reality, when you ask any Mega Man fan, quick, what's the best Mega Man game ever? 90% of them will say Mega Man 2, which Inafune was not the lead on. He just did art for. Yes. And so now he's got Mighty Number no. 9, and he's like, I'll show you all. And Mighty Number no. 9 is a piece of trash. And it's been a year since that game came out and killed video game Kickstarters dead. Yep. Along with the Star Citizen. And since then, like tabletop gaming Kickstarters are through the roof and nobody wants to back video game ones anymore because of the yeah. massive failures of these. Yeah, things. I mean, I feel like most of the tabletop ones delivered. Like, I think every you at least get a every game. board game or card game one that I've backed, I've gotten the thing. Whereas it's been up and down with video game ones like I, there was definitely one that unfortunately they had a lot of problems with the team and that one fell apart. I mean, granted. They didn't ask for a lot for donations, at least, so I wasn't out a lot of money, but... Yeah, like, most of the game Kickstarters I have, they came out, but the game was either okay right. or whatever, but some of them, it's like, they came out and it was great. Yeah. And I am still a sucker and back certain game Kickstarters on Fig and other, like, game-dedicated crowdsourcing platforms. I just colloquially call it Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. It's a Kickstarter, yeah, it's, then, so... It's basically the a crowdfund. Yeah, and so, you know, when they say they're working on Blue Uru, I'm I'm very hesitant, because who knows if we will ever even see Blue Uru. Like, give me a release date, give me something like that to work off of. And, oh, yeah, and one other thing, speaking of hell having frozen over... I was actually going to work this into the response to the email, Oh, because I think it's relevant you to think the, so? the person okay. who's writing the email. Well, then I can save that for the email, then, which we can get to right now. This email is from Zach. He says, hey, Anime World Order, I have a problem which you've probably heard before. But anyway, I figured maybe you guys and girls could help my particular case. When I was younger, just starting out watching anime, I watched anything I could get my hands on. I think that's true for most people. <laughs> yes. Now, years later, I've become more picky. The shows I used to watch don't seem good to me anymore. For example, I tried rewatching Lucky Star, which was one of my favorite shows. I hadn't seen it in years, and I thought it was really terrible. I wondered what the hell younger me was thinking for watching it and liking it. So anyway, the shows I still like are Tokyo Ghoul, which isn't even that old. Well, um, he's talking about like when I was younger, just starting out, going back old school to Tokyo Ghoul. Yeah, so <laughs> which, two, you know, three now years thinking, ago, like, two years ago. So Yeah, yeah. Tokyo Ghoul started like anime wise, like maybe what? Three years ago, like you said, it's not. It's not like, very this old. Ancient show. <laughs> We're just old. Uh, Steins Gate, which is a little bit older. <laughs> yeah. Redline and Ninja Scroll. Yeah, I realize the last two are movies. If you guys could suggest some shows that are intelligent, story-driven, and not fanservice-filled and mature, I would Such appreciate it. Such as Ninja it. Scroll and Redline. <laughs> <laughs> I found lots of good shows th through your show, so asking for your suggestions might be redundant, but oh well, any suggestions on anything that fit the criteria in anime and manga would be greatly appreciated. I've become sort of frustrated with the amount of crappy anime out there, 
I love your show, and I hope it sticks around for many more years. Well, Zach. So there you go. Now we can say that hell has, in fact, frozen over. Yes. And after a decade of our advocacy on and off, it is now possible to go and legally watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes online. There's a new website that basically the anime network sort of shuttered its doors, ceased to exist, and now it's called High Dive. That's H-I-D-I-V-E, and that's basically the new Sentai Filmworks online streaming repository. And they have up there Legend of the Galactic Heroes, but there is two slight caveats to this. One, you have to pay a monthly fee. Like, there's no free trial first. You pay $3.99 each month, which is not a lot of money, and you get, like, a week or something of a trial. And then the other caveat is... The entire thing is not up all at once. They didn't do a Netflix thing and say, here is 110 episodes. Go for it. No, they've put up the first few episodes and then each week they're going to add three more episodes at a time such that it'll all be up by February of 2018. Now, that being said, this may not be that big of a deal because realistically, how many people are going to be able to binge watch, watch <laughs> yeah. Legend of the Galactic Heroes? Right. Like Maybe it's better to watch just a small amount of episodes and let them digest a week rather than try to burn through it in a very short span of time. Because there's a lot of stuff to process in that show. And so if yeah, you want like, an answer to your question... It's very talky, so I don't know if it's the kind of show I would normally just watch a ton of episodes. story-driven... And mature and intelligent, and I believe Legend of the Galactic. No, no, I just mean like for in terms of binge watching, like because it's that kind of show. Like, yeah, I I don't know if it's the kind of show that I would want to watch like all day long. I mean, right? You'd stop processing certain key details after a point if you aren't fully invested in it. Granted, I also wouldn't take a huge break between episodes because there's so many characters and so many complicated things. Too much of a break. It's like what was happening. Right. Exactly. So maybe they've decided their three episodes a week is their ideal balance. It's crazy for me to see because this is actually not the first time that we've gotten some of Legend of the Galactic Heroes legitimately in America. This is the first time that we're actually going to get all of it. This has been, what, 20 plus years. Have they said if the OAVs and the movie are going up as well? I think everything. It only says 110 episodes on the site, but I can tell you having seen it with my own two eyes that they have the movies, you know, they are working on the movies. So I don't know if it's just like they're waiting to put them up. Right. I remember them announcing it, but I didn't quite remember if they had specified whether they had everything, everything, or just the whole base show. Yeah. They were never super clear about that, but yeah, I believe it's everything, everything. Mm. No, like because Neil Nadelman is the translator. Basically they took uh, Sue Shambo's old translations that were done on the fan subs because I guess eventually the licensors bought them and then they used that as a starting point and then refined it, Neil and ah. I think one other person. And so he showed in a panel on Legend of the Galactic Heroes, like sort of his workflow and the clip that he showed was from a movie. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so that's how I know, like, okay, they have these movies. So that's a, a perfect example of one that we would suggest first and foremost, as far as some shorter things. I would say Rock um, Go. It's two seasons. Yeah, Rockago, two seasons, very well done, very is, much not typical sort of thing you'd expect from anime. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most, like, when you think of, like, a show for adults, that's not, like, 
porn. Just like yeah. porn, like a show for adults. That is one of the shows that comes to mind first. It's a show that all the problems and all the issues that it deals with are things that adults would deal with. Mm-hmm. And right. And you can watch that whole thing on Crunchyroll. The full title is Showa Ganroku Rakugo Shinju. But if you just search for Rakugo, it will come yeah. up. Yeah. R-A-K. UGO. Rightfully uh, so, it was the number one most liked show of its season. So. I don't know if Monster is still available anywhere. I mean, Ooh, I would I say that, so. but... It used to be available, but I don't think it is anymore. Right. I'll check right now. Because I don't think now, it's streaming anywhere. No, it's, it's not. not. It's not up anymore. Yeah. And that's the risk about these streaming services, is that it used to all be on Hulu, all 75 episodes, yep. dub and sub, now it's gone, and now there's no DVD or anything, so... That's just like vanished. if you don't if you don't buy those DVDs, then you know right. it's yeah. if DVDs are made available. In the case of Monster, they weren't even made. Right, because also I would actually say I don't know if I'd recommend necessarily the rest of the franchise in this sense, but I feel like Gundam Thunderbolt actually. But again, I think that's not up anymore, or maybe you can pay for it. Gundam Thunderbolt, it is out on Blu-ray now because I have it in my hand and I've been showing it in our Right Stuff promotional things, rightfully so. Mm. But no, they're streaming because it's Sunrise. They're very odd and they now have a new Gundam thing that is also subject to a similar sort of strange streaming release schedule where it's up for like a very short amount of time streaming and then it's gone and then you have to hold out. Right, and, and if it. you're like me and you miss that it actually started, then you're out right. of luck. Right, and so <laughs> I have it all, so I mean, I've got it, but it's it's a strange phenomenon in that sense. But yeah, I, I do highly recommend that series, even if you don't know the rest of Gundam, it's relatively cogent as far as not really relying on you knowing a bunch of lore yes. to get into it. Yeah, and I think it's probably one of the most sort of adult This was one of my favorite shows of last year. It went a little under the radar, but it was called 91 Days. I still need to watch that. Yeah, I mean, it's another one. Like, it's still on Crunchyroll. It's on uh, the Funimation website as well, but most everyone just uses Crunchyroll. It's 12 episodes long. I know there's going to be, like, a OAV, like, on the box set, but it's a complete story in 12 episodes, and it doesn't really follow the typical anime tropes because it is primarily influenced by American gangster films because it takes place in America and it's a gangster period piece. They kind of work with those tropes instead, but it's not just the straight cliches of, oh, this is exactly what's going to happen, though I can talk a little bit more about that. We'll choose not to, but as far as the fundamental question that Zach is asking, as far as like I outgrew something or mm-hmm. I thought it was uh, cool back then and now it's really bad. I think part of it is just the age group that it's meant for. Or yeah. like, in the case of Lucky Star, it's that was hot for like when it was airing. And then once it finished, people kind of just forgot about it. Someone actually asked me online recently if I ever went back and gave that show a shot. I never did. And the reason was because... After a certain amount of time period passed, nobody was talking about it anymore. And the few people who were were saying like, oh, what was I thinking? And so I never went back to it. And it sounds like the general consensus is similar to what Zach was saying. Like, it was cool for its time, but its time was very short. It's also not a bad mm-hmm. thing to be picky because a lot of... so many things. I mean, yeah, like the thing is that... 50 anime, shows out of season. You better be picky. Yeah, anime right. is not... It's not any worse or better than it's ever been. It's pretty much a consistent quality. It's just that now you have access to so much stuff. Like Mm -hmm. when we started in anime, you could literally go and watch everything you could get your hands on because there wasn't that much. 
But now, trying to do that, you would be overwhelmed, like, right away. Right. It's, and so another thing, like, when people talk about intelligent or story-driven or mature anime, like, they typically don't want comedy. They usually want drama. They typically don't want a lot of action, or I guess it sort of depends on what style of action. And so I think the suggestions that we've given are pretty much in line with that sort of mm-hmm. implicit request. But there are right. other things, like, there's recently been quite a few sort of more story-driven, plot-oriented, drama-type things with older characters, part of which is because of the Japanese government trying to utilize their soft power of propaganda to get people to to move back to the countryside. Please, we're starving. One example of that, there was a series called Silver Spoon, which is not that old, That was by the same author as Moyashimon, right? Uh, By the same author as Fullmetal Alchemist. Oh, Fullmetal Alchemist. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so that is entirely about person. They are in high school, but it's like agricultural-based things, and it's all about the joys and tribulations of, you know, getting back in touch with Mother Nature and being conscientious of, you know, where your food supply comes from. So I think that's an interesting show. It's the kind of thing, and a good barometer for this is... Did somebody in Japan take this thing and turn it into a J-drama? Because that's really the question of, oh, is this thing just for the anime nerds or will regular people like this? Well, their barometer for that is, let's take this and turn it into a J-drama. Now, I'm not Uh. saying that those J-dramas are good because a lot of times the J-dramas are terrible. But that's sort of like the content of it means that, oh, yeah, we can take these seinen works and make them more accessible to people in that way. That being said, you know, there's still like Liar Game and Death Note and stuff like that that get turned into live action. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, it's totally normal to not like the same things when you get older that you liked when you were a kid or a teenager. I mean, it just happens. Like, your tastes change and your experiences are different. So the things that are going to be relatable to you and that speak to you are going to be different. Like, I think everybody has that. I mean, even books and regular like western tv shows and movies like everybody has stuff that they liked when they were a kid that of course when you go back you're like oh this is not actually very good yeah i mean when i was a little kid i liked anime with giant robots and things punching <laughs> things and now i'm an adult and i like anime with giant robot i i haven't progressed at all well no no this is the thing there was this awesome roger ebert quote that somebody like pasted yes, like very recently about gamera There's a learning process that moviegoers go through. They begin in childhood without sophistication or much taste. And for example, they like Gamera more than Air Force One because flying turtles are obviously more entertaining than United States presidents. Then they grow older and develop, quote, taste and prefer Air Force One, which is better made and has big stars and a more plausible plot. Isn't it more believable, after all, that a president can single-handedly wipe out a plane load of terrorists than that a giant turtle could spit gobs of flame? But then... If they continue to grow older and wiser, they complete the circle and return to Gamera again, realizing that while both movies are preposterous, the Turtle movie has the charm of utter goofiness, and in an age of flawless special effects, it is somehow more fun to watch flawed ones. And that age of flawless special effects that Roger Ebert is speaking of is the age when Air Force One was a brand new movie, which, Uh you know, is probably about 1997. Like, it's been about 20 years since that movie came out. Yeah. Right. Pretty good quote. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that going around Twitter. It was pretty good. Yeah. I also, I don't know if it meets the plot-driven techniques, but I actually do see that Kaiji and Akagi are up on Crunchyroll, and also Mushishi, 
and those are all, I think, quite good. Not so much plot driven. Yeah, Mushishi especially but... is a mood sort of piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we reviewed a lot of these things in our review index, um, which a lot of people don't know it's there. But if you go to our website at www.animeworldorder.com, in the event that the site loads, we are in the process of contemplating moving to a host that is more stable. But, you know, that's TBD. If you click on that review index, you'll see a list of every single title that we've ever reviewed to date. And so we recently got asked the other day, have we ever talked about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? And in fact, we talked about it before any of the recent anime got made up through Diamond yes. is Unbreakable. So, yes, you can go on there because we've uh, been around for a, a while now. Yep. We were, so, we're um, the original anyway, anime hipsters doing JoJo before it was cool. Before it was cool. It's <laughs> this underground thing. You probably never heard about it, which at the time people hadn't. Right. Yep. Anyway, Zach, we will give you for your email to us a one year got anime membership to write stuff. Uh, where you'll get additional discounts over their already pretty damn good prices. I continue to buy like entirely too many crazy things thanks to their sales, but we'll get into that uh, in just a minute. I almost feel like I've gone full circle with a lot of my anime purchases, where I was buying a lot of anime, then I slowed down a whole lot, and now I'm buying a whole lot again, because now we're seeing with the streaming services that a show that you really like can just disappear and just be gone. Right. I think I always struggle with buying stuff, because on the one hand, it takes up so much space when you buy a lot of stuff. And I'm also really bad about actually rewatching things that I buy. Like I always intend to, and then I just never get around to it. And so I bought all of these things on Blu-ray and, and such that just sit on my shelf and I never watch them. We do have a podcast that is the incentive to make it so that we can tear open the shrink wrap on these things that we've bought. Yep. Uh, Right. And we just figure like enough time goes by. I mean, that doesn't work for the non anime stuff, but (laughs) no, not quite, but yes. But then, yeah, like with the streaming, it's like stuff just disappears. And so like, I really liked uh, like, oh, I want to rewatch that. Yeah, I really liked Rakugo, but there is no physical license for that. As soon as that license expires, all it is is just some guy going on there and clicking visible to no. And that's it. It's gone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you really like something, you know, consider owning it physically. Otherwise, all of your anime library is at the beck and call of a contract in somebody's drawer. None of these are written into perpetuity. They always have an expiry date. So, do we have anything else we want to hit up? It's not been super long, but uh, it's been long enough that there has been a lot going on in anime. We've got Otakon coming up, and hopefully we'll have at least one more episode before that. Yes. But just in case, I would like to point out, since it has been asked, we are in fact doing panels at Otakon once again. Now that they're in D.C., we just got the acceptances for those. Clarissa and I are going to be doing the History of Magical Girls. Make sure now that you satisfy Alan Mendez and give Pretty Cure enough of an acknowledgement beyond just the one Pretty Cure slide. Because, <laughs> uh, it's true that we've got our Dragon Ball Z Pretty Cure connection video clip, but perhaps it's not enough. For it's crazy thief. because when you do shows like that, you could do entire panels about just Sailor Moon and Pretty Cure. But right, I mean, there's so many Pretty Cure series yes. now. And so how do I give the show its due? Yeah. Pretty Cure is like basically... Super Sentai. Yes. At this point, like every year, there's a new Pretty Cure with a totally different team of people, and then they have these like crossover movies and stuff. Right. It's exactly like Super Sentai. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and well, what are... I, of course, you know, Sailor Moon sort of uh, paved the way for the use the exact same Super Sentai formula. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, but they the just did the one. They didn't turn it into a whole franchise like that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And so, what are you doing, Daryl? 
I am doing 30 years ago anime in 1987, which is expanded upon for my anime news network feature piece that I wrote on that, which at the time when I put that article out, I said, well, at least one thing 30 years from now is still remain unchanged. Blue Uru still isn't out yet. And now <laughs> Blue Uru is allegedly you know, being made. It still isn't out, though. So still isn't out yet. So I can continue making that joke. Yep. I am also doing once again anime's craziest deaths. I mean, I already have at least twenty minutes of new footage, and trying to get some more sort of dependent on when this third Bakemonogatari movie comes out because there's a hilarious Mm. murder on a baseball field. Even though I've never seen any of these Monogatari things, I see like the GIF people post online. I'm like, okay, this is funny. (laughs) So I will be throwing that in there. Oddly enough, I've written another feature about anime of 2007, like 10 years ago of things that were worth seeing. Wrote it months ago, still isn't up online yet, but at some point that will be on Crunchyroll for people to see. I just don't know when that will be. I think it's probably just dependent on when they decide to post it. But that's what we're doing at Otakon in the event that we don't get an episode out between now and then. But I'm hopeful that we will just to cover our bases. Look forward to those at Otakon. We're very curious how this Otakon will go because it's the first year in this totally different convention center that nerd conventions have never been held in before. So Yeah, I would say that uh, it's going to be tricky getting used to a new place, but for some reason the Baltimore Convention Center was this weird location that no matter how many years I actually went to Otakon there, I would always forget how to get from one place to another. Well, they always changed the There route. was something about the layout that I just... They changed like the routes that yes. were barred off to traffic, mm. and like so you have year. to take it. Maybe that way. was it. And then the one year, like with the construction... There was stuff that was closed. Then they did the stupidest decision I've ever seen, where they created that skywalk, which has got a walkway which is two people wide for a convention that gets, like, 50,000 people there. Mm. What a stupid-ass decision. My God. I'm I'm so pissed off about that. They probably needed to do a comicette with that and just have that be, like, one-way traffic only. Yeah, something. And have an alternate route for the other direction. Comicette's, like, amazingly good at traffic control right. although sometimes because they block off certain areas for one way only getting there is easy but getting back you have to go the long way around and so now we're <laughs> going to have a uh, whole bunch of new problems this year yeah i'm sure it'll be challenging the first year while they figure out everything it was also because it took me like 10 years of going to otakon before i was like okay this is the place to go for a good meal quickly during lunch it's not too crowded it's not too crowded yeah. takes like years and years to get to know that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. so now we have to relearn all of that again for like five years before they move back to Baltimore. So Right. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with the area where the location is for the con, so... Yeah, it's not... It's apparently a very corporate area. It's an area where they hold trade shows mostly. And so yeah. it's not an area that people just go and hang out. Very business, very government sort of stuff. So we will see. <laughs> Maybe it'll be like that Canadian convention and we'll be like right next to a Republican... <laughs> event (laughs) no matter what other convention is held next to the anime convention it's always something hilarious yeah i mean there's been times where like jeb bush was adjacent to anime festival orlando right uh, which doesn't beat out nothing can possibly beat out this year's anime boston where bernie sanders was present yep yes uh which is really the truth of who would have made anime real 
but alas, anime cannot be real. Well, maybe Sean Spicer will pull through. Yeah, but, yeah he's got enough time. Now that he's yes. been replaced to get his Yuri on Ice cosplay together in time. Although I think he my was favorite Katsukon story. Once, that's what we're talking about. I think my favorite story was one of the Fangoria conventions that was like sharing the venue with a wedding. And like actually the wedding people were really cool with it. And they took like hilarious photos with like the horror cosplayers and stuff. Yeah, weddings are hilarious. There have been a lot of weddings that have been held with anime conventions, and I remember like yeah. the, the bride walking around, and people thought she was cosplaying from Wedding Peach. <laughs> that was uh, pretty great. Yeah, uh, no matter what is held, yeah. anime is always like the freak show compared to what else is there. Right. Any nerd convention, really, but especially anime. Yes. So, unless we have anything more to say, I guess we should get on with the rest of the show. Real quick, just before we get into the review, I want to make mention of the fact that this episode of the Anime World Order podcast is brought to you by RightStuffAnime.com. That's R-I-G-H-T-S-T-U-F dot com, which is the place to go to purchase anime, manga, figures, collectibles, merchandise, and so on. Every week, they've got amazing sales. Right now, they've got a sale on Udon Entertainment stuff, video game and anime art books, a lot of times you go to the dealer's room in an anime convention, and those things are pretty darn expensive. Right now, they are one-third off. As of the time of this recording, there's also a Toonami sale going on. So if you want your big old Blu-rays, yeah, I know they don't have the original opening, which is kind of a sore spot for me, but I still got my old DVDs for that one. Definitely go pick them up there. Right stuff on the subject of what we were talking about just now is also the place to go to purchase, and this is the like most contentious thing, but they are the exclusive vendor, if you want, the complete Blu-ray box set of Gurren Lagann. It's an Anaplex release, so we're talking $150. Currently, if you just want to watch that show, can still do it on Crunchyroll, but remember, they can disappear at any time. I like to have Blu-rays or DVDs on hand so that I don't ever have to worry about that sort of thing. Of course, Anaplex prices are what they are. Like I said, $150, but the retail price is $190. So unless you want to get an all-region player and import a cheaper edition of it, Right Stuff Anime is the place for the physical set. Isn't sold anywhere else. You probably want to pre-order it before August when it comes out because they usually don't print up very many of these things. I know we were talking about Legend of the Galactic Heroes and High Dive as the streaming option, but certainly at some point, Sentai Filmworks will have Legend of the Galactic Heroes Blu-ray and DVD sets, and they will definitely be sold on Right Stuff, and they'll definitely be the cheapest price anywhere online. So please go there.
when we talk about anime shows that have a military sort of bend to them, there's generally two large categories that we can con- divide these shows into. And those are shows that have sort of a military present. Shows that are like Gundam, where the story plays out and the characters are in a military, but the gear that used isn't, say, military accurate. And then there are shows that are made almost for the special type of anime fan, the military otaku, where not only is the gear accurate, it has to be accurate for the appeal to work. Mm. One such show recently was a show called Girls into Panzer, which uh, had some very highly detailed tanks right. and was yeah Not very you know the very highly s- expensive World of Tanks DLC. Uh, <laughs> yes. Girls in Panzer uh, <laughs> yeah. designs, which is funny because like looking at Girls in Panzer, you wouldn't necessarily think that it's the kind of like super accurate military show, but the tanks apparently are very. Yes. I don't know anything about military hardware that much, so. I can't tell, but I hear that the tanks are very accurate. Yeah, very accurate, very accurate how they function and what they can do. Mm-hmm. Like, it got a lot of, like, tank people into that show, and then anime fans into tanks, and they had, like, right. crossover things. And I will admit, tanks are pretty cool. I'm not a big, yeah. you know, military otaku, but they're pretty cool. Yeah, none of us on this show are big military otaku, which makes talking about this show difficult at a different level. But then there are shows like The Saga of Tanya the Evil, which is one of the strangest combination of Mm. both types of military shows. Because I was about to say, they have like crazy magic and like jetpacks and stuff like that, right? So it's not, it didn't strike me from what I saw as a very realistic show. Oh, it's, it's no, but it is. This show, it's got a crazy combination of super hardcore military otaku stuff and then a lot of like anime fan tropes. And, you know, on top of that, it's got one of the craziest and strangest stories that I've ever seen. Now, there, is there is there magic? Because it seemed like that. Yes. There has to okay. be for the base premise. Yes, there is. Right, right. Yes, there is absolutely magic in the show. Yeah. And then, so that's that's why this is a show that sort of straddles the line between both of those mm. sorts of things. Okay. And, like, it, this show is to talk, this is why I'm talking about the show, because it's such a freaking weird show. <laughs> Tanya the Evil is an amazing example of just how normalizing anime can be. So many people saw this show, and seem to not recognize just how weird and crazy and like nonsensical it was this is possibly the strangest craziest show that i've seen that is not a comedy see there are anime comedies out there that have got really like crazy premises and crazy Mm -hmm. storylines like there's a show that we recently watched called to be hero where the main character the premise of it was the main character was the only person in the world to be taking a crap at one point aliens abduct him And they give him a superpower where he looks super fat and ugly, but he can destroy anything with one hit from his sandal. That's a crazy premise. Yeah, it's like a weird poop comedy superhero. Yes. And it's a crazy premise, but that is part of the comedic, like, slant on it. Right, it's not meant to be taken seriously. Right. This is a show that is meant to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. with a crazy, crazy weird story. Now, my understanding is that the central, like conceit of this has sort of become like a, a minor trend that there's like sort of a a group of these kind of stories well of course it is a light novel first and that mm. is yes. uh flag number one to let you know exactly what sort of tropes we're dealing with here <laughs> yes so let me give you kind of the basis of this show first of all 
the first episode of the show is set in media race. So the first episode of the show is just supposed to look cool. And by the way, the show looks amazing. So the real story or the real show starts at the second episode. And the show starts in modern day Japan. And we see an unnamed and mostly unseen upper management salary man. A.K.A. Who, the reader. Yes. Well, I most think most of the readers aren't in upper management. This guy is managing a bunch of people and is kind of a very cruel boss. Like, the only thing that we really see him do is he fires a subordinate just because it will save him a little bit of money. Isn't that so, all management That's all now? management. <laughs> Apparently, it's just done very callously and everything. But yes, that's all management. I understand. That is all management. So his subordinate basically gets back at him by pushing him into a subway train. So just before the man is hit by the train and dies, the world stops, and this thing called Being X introduces himself to the man and speaks through everyone in the subway. The men, the women, the dogs, babies, pigeons, everything. They have a conversation that basically comes down to that the salary man has no faith, doesn't believe in a higher being, doesn't believe in anything like this. It's a Jack Chick tract come to life at this point. <laughs> yes. Where it's I was like, about to say, like, is the idea not that this is God? Me or... as your savior, and now you must be punished, and that's Somebody goofed. Yeah. I believe, now I watched this again, and I'm pretty sure that this being X does not claim to be God, Mm. just a a super powerful force. Oh, okay. But maybe I didn't understand the conversation. Then he said, okay, you will be reincarnated one and only one more time. Get one chance to turn this one around. You get one chance, and you have to gain faith. Essentially, uh, judging so. by the, just the encounter, screen caps I've seen from this show, it does not seem like this worked. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you would think <laughs> that the encounter of this and the act of having this happen, along with would the, prove to you the memory, yes, would be your proof. It's yes. but, but really, it's not faith because it's been shown to you. You're you're, you're not just blindly believing. You've That's got true. evidence. That's true. Yes, this man wakes up to find out that he is a baby orphan girl sometime in the very early 20th century and he is aware of his previous life is it like world war one or something i forget this is the thing is or that they the not period, time period but they do specify exactly like the okay. date it's about like 19 it, it takes it's a it goes through a couple of years but it's basically like 1920s okay so world war one here's, here's the thing but. world war one ended in 1918 right World War II started in 1939. People forget that there's only 21 years between World War right, I and World yeah. War II. Not concerned. Which is holy shit. Like, World War I and World War II, the most devastating wars on ever, yeah. and only 21 years, the population didn't even recover. But in the terms of this show, it's unclear if this is a World War I that started later or is lasting longer. It doesn't... Mm. It's really just, oh, the war's, specify the wars on. That's basically all that's there's. Okay. Th- there is a war on, and and this little girl Tanya is in this Germanic country. It is not specified as Germany. Mm. Now that's the thing is that when it shows the map of Europe, the map of Europe is the same map that we have today, but the the political side of it, the countries are very different. So, okay. And yeah, Tanya is her full name is Tanya von Degrechaf, which is not even that German a name. Possibly leans a bit more to maybe Russian. Mm. In fact, she has a subordinate in the show who that the subordinate became quite a meme in Japan. Uh, her name is Victoria Iv- 
Oh my god. Ivanovana Serebrakyov. This show is all over the place. And the thing is, if you just look at, like, screen caps of this show, a lot of people thought that this was World War II because from just, like... It looks kind of Nazi. It looks like, you know, all right, it's every Japanese person's dream to not just be a lowly, but also be of the master race and also, (laughs) like, be a magician. Let's let's also be clear that, like, World War I and World War II looked very similar because only 21 years were were between the two wars. So in terms of like some of the some of the clothing that was worn, things like that. Yeah. Look, there, there weren't there weren't like. Uh, I think the German in German uniforms I. were different though, because was isn't in World War One they had like the pointed the helmets and didn't they not have that anymore in World War Two? Are you yes, that was ready one of the to get a forty minute lecture from Rob <laughs> Fenelon about the difference between you know Otto von Bismarck's Prussia and Nazi Germany? <laughs> Let's yeah, not delve I'm sorry. into this. I should have. Yeah, this is a this is a very weird thing to talk about because it's very clear that it is meant to be in a a familiar world, but sure. not the same one, and that is made right, very clear by. It's kind of alternate by, history, like yeah. Yes, it's made very clear by the fact that Tanya, yeah, she's in this Germanic country, and she finds out that she has magic powers. Right in this in this world that she has sort of reincarnated into, people have magic powers, and if you demonstrate you have magic powers, you are conscripted for the military to fight as mages. Even if are... you are a child. Here's the thing! Hold on! Let's, <laughs> let's be careful, because the internal logic of the show is fucked. <laughs> but is it intentionally fucked or unintentionally fucked? This is light novelist fucked. It's light okay. novelist fucked, and I will get to that. So, you know, mages, the, these are mages. They're basically a group of soldiers that fly around and have extremely powerful rifles and cast spells, and they're kind of the most powerful units in the military, and all the militaries have this. And uh, you mm-hmm. can, they, they go to very great lengths to show that the mages in Tanya's military fly around with different things, like they've got this like clamp on their on a boot, like a boot that they wear that helps right. them fly around. This other group, they have, like, skis. Yeah, I saw some screenshots that looked like jetpacks. Yes, they have this yeah. other one that where they fly around on what is basically horse armor. <laughs> with just out, without a horse. Um, nice. <laughs> so, so this is where some of the internal logic of this show eludes me. And yes, Daryl, before you say anything, I know the answer is because anime. But... <laughs> Before you say that, I just hear me out with some of this internal logic. So Tanya grows up, and she gets to be about eight years old, and she decides to join the military, as she sees it as an easy way to further her career. So, but and she's course, still mentally, mentally, and like a, what a forty-something-year-old salary, salary man. That is okay. correct. Yes, mentally all still, right. yes, as aware of who being X is, what happened, is aware of all of that. That must be fucking weird. This show is fucked up. (laughs) Um, And of course, yeah, because this is anime, she's accepted into the military as an eight-year-old girl. Now, what makes no sense to me, and throughout the show, is Tanya goes on and on about how her number one goal is to survive the war. She wants to live through this, because she knows she only has one more chance for this. There are no other eight-year-olds in the military. She is the youngest, smallest person. The second in command is uh, Serebrakyov. Right, yeah. 
I mean, joining the military seems like something you would not want to do if your goal is to yes, survive. Yes, uh, instead of a key office about 17 or 18, she tries to sign up for the military, and they even say, like, why are you trying to sign up so early? So she could have lived another 10 years, probably, without having any sort of issues going into the military. She could have lived as a civilian quite easily. Mm-hmm. So the, the internal logic of the show is fucked already. Maybe she's just, like, so overconfident that it's like, I can just end this prematurely or something. She says to further her career, you know, I suppose it's supposed to go back to some of the salary man stuff that they talked about. Oh, right. It's like an ambition thing. Okay. An, an ambition sort of thing. But I mean, I, the, the reason that they did it is because you wouldn't have a show because right, the right. show has to Obviously. happen. Yeah. Right. I like I under, and I understand that. I, I wasn't it's, even going to say just, because of anime, I think really there's just a fundamental dishonesty to the premise and to what we're being told. There's just a very thin veneer of, I need a justification to have my lowly girl military uniform committing atrocities. And so, (laughs) and I have to do this because nothing is more adorable than war crimes. Well, it's, it's, that's the otaku. Like this is really like, you know, a very large vocal visible wing of the otaku mindset both japan and the u.s this series is kind of all they want yeah i mean i think there is a lot of i think there always used to be a lot of assumption that nerds were sort of supposed to be liberal because they were into like fantasy but i mean really i think always nerddom has been fairly who wanted to enforce klingon law yeah. At the Star Trek con. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to discuss there, and we'll get to that definitely. But um, again, like the internal logic of the show, it makes so little sense to me. But of course, the show is called Tanya the Evil, or the saga of Tanya the Evil. Right. So you're not supposed to think that she's like a good person, or that what she's doing is right. You're not supposed to think that. However, mm-hmm. she is the main character, and she's the person who pushes the plot forward. Sure. So, as the title would suggest, she's extremely evil and violent to the point of being sadistic. In the first episode of the show, she's the head of a squadron of mages. Mm -hmm. Two of these mages disobey her orders. Like, they go off and they start firing, and she calls, she says, you know, don't do that, you know, come back. And she tries to court-martial them for this. And they come in and they explain themselves to her, and she says, okay, I'm just going to reassign you, I'm not going to court-martial you. And she purposely reassigns them to a stationary brigade because she knows that those are what will be bombed and they are bombed and killed. So right. that, that is kind of how she works. Like there's another episode, which this might count as a, as a war crime, where she, her, her task is to attack a, um, a factory. And I don't know, I think that this is the case where if a military is going to attack a factory, you are by law supposed to give warning before you do that, because a lot of because the assumption is that the factory workers are civilians, mm-hmm. that they're not they're not part of this. So you have to let them get out there before you destroy the factory. So what does she do? She gives them warning, but in the cutest, silliest eight year old girl voice that she can muster. So they don't so take no, it seriously. So nobody takes it seriously. So she bombs the shit out of it and kills all of them. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah, yeah. it's a fucking twisted show. It's a fucking weird and twisted show. <clears throat> I can't deny that it's an incredibly beautiful looking show. And it's a 
like the en enormous amount of care that went into the look of the show is stunning. Like the aerial dogfights that happen, especially the dogfights that happen in the first episode and the second to the last episode are gorgeous. Like some of the best I've ever seen animated. And it maintains this throughout the entire show. The problem is, is that Tanya the Evil is such a mess of a show. Like, like I said before, I have enormous problems with its internal logic. Like, I understand that basically the author of this was like, how can I justify putting a lowly girl into World War I? Like, how on earth can I possibly justify this? Mm -hmm. And I don't think he did a good job of that. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's just a really, really lame way of, of, of how he managed that. I mean, it's interesting to me because it feels like it would have been very easy to... Like, just give a different motivation that would have made more sense. Like, instead of saying, like, oh, her goal is to survive, it's just, like, her goal is to, like, accumulate power now that she's like, oh, I've got these magical abilities, so, yes. you know, I'm just gonna rule the world with an iron fist, or whatever. Right, yeah, and and she keeps talking about how her real drive to this is to survive the war. She kept saying, like, like, all I want to do is survive. And the only way you can survive is to kill innocent civilians in a factory. And, <laughs> right. And, but it's also that she, like I said, like, if you wanted to survive, why would you join the military when you don't have to? Right, right. Like, she keeps putting herself in situations where she gets, finds herself on the very front lines. Mm hmm like continuously is doing things like what you would normally do is if you really wanted to survive a war and you really just didn't didn't want to do this you think you'd want a non-battlefield role you'd want a non-battlefield yeah. role you'd want some some sort of office role or if you were a mage and they put you out there you'd want to do a really shitty job of it so then they didn't put you out there mm -hmm. But she does a fantastic job of it you'd perhaps all the time. conceal the fact that you were a mage and then retreat somewhere where it was not on the front line well, they actually do cover that. Right. Like, they test all the children for magic abilities. So I guess the show does cover that at least. But there seems to be a lot of things that she could do to not be in the situation. And it's not something I would talk about if it weren't such an emphasis of the show. That she, and she keeps blaming this being X for putting her there. But so much of this is her own decisions. So she, she blames God or whatever this God thing is for the situation that she's right. in now. Is this to the show's credit? Like, is this in fact what they're trying to say about the salaryman mentality? Is this resentment of like, oh, I'm here because of some other thing or I'm doing this bad thing because I, I, I have no choice. But in fact, you're just doing it because you're a dick. I don't think so. I think that I, throughout the show, she keeps blaming being X, in fact, one of the very last lines in it is her like yelling and saying like, God is dead, like very... A very cliched well, sort of shit. Very Nietzschean style thing, which is all the like, rage will, among the Nazi ubermenches. Yeah, yeah. We will kill God. We will destroy God, and you know, we will, mm. you know, we will make, we will rebuild God in our own image, and to hell with you, being X. So she's a JRPG hero. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was wondering if maybe the idea is that the excuse of like I just want to survive is meant to be kind of disingenuous, and that you know. Like you said, Daryl, it's just trying to like come up with a a cover excuse when really it's like she just wants to do this, but it's sort of like oh I I had to do this I just I'm not I don't want to kill all these people I just want to survive. And you know I would give the show a lot of credit 
if it felt like the show were that deep. Mm. But this is also a show that at the very finale, and this got posted everywhere online, so even if you weren't watching the show, you knew this was going to happen. They introduce a character whose name is Mary Sue. Oh, God, really? Like Sue Indians, but she's Mary Sue, and she also has the being X power, and she's the American lowly girl who's going to teach Tanya what's what, because she's the Mary Sue. What's interesting about that... I don't think that, this is a show about like deep commentary if you're going to throw it out uh, that yeah, heavy, I but I could be wrong. I don't think so, but what's interesting about that and what struck me as well is that no countries are named in this as we na- name them today. Right, that's just to avoid heat, I think. I think that's just to not get controversy to say, oh, no, no, look, it's not America and Germany. This is, you know, the Empire and... You know, Gundam Double style. You know, hold on, you're jumping ahead. Except for America, America is named right, right, and it's only named in that scene. Oh, okay, because <laughs> I thought the rest of the time they just said like it's the U.S. Yeah, the it's Allies, the US's or you know. But I guess yeah, nope, I guess. America is named. It is the U.S. The United States. There's no one else called the United States, mm-hmm. and so. Yes, the the American lowly, which is there. That that scene is meant to set up season two, if that ever happens. Well, I'm sure it will happen because the show is quite well received, it seemed. It seemed that a ton of people were watching it and a ton of people were talking about it. And it seemed like it was rated fairly, like, highly in terms of views. So I imagine that, you know, there's going to be, since it is based on a light novel, I'm sure there's a bunch of light novels spanning many years and so volume seven volumes, I believe. Oh, yeah, and there's so a manga bad by coming light out. Novel standards, <clears throat> I guess. It started in 2013. So and, seven uh, volumes up a... to 2013. That's actually kind of slow for light novel standard. <laughs> he must be having to write tons and tons of description of tanks and uh, artillery yeah. hardware. And uh, there's a manga running as well. I think so. But that might be like one of those like bullshit like manga that's a tie into the anime sort of things that as a po- like I don't know. That just sounds. I don't like, know. It started in 2016. Okay, so, so maybe uh, I could be completely off the mark there. Yeah, I'm reading. It says there's six volumes out, but for something that started in 2016, so six that's volumes not of manga comes out in the span of no. like a year, whereas that's, light novels it takes like seven years to write, like or four years to write six, which is sort of like the opposite of what you expect. Right. And so here's the thing. I found. A lot of the show, especially mostly the middle part, to be an enormous slog to get through. Here's the thing. I am personally not a military otaku. I'm not a history buff. And so there's an enormous amount of the show that is spent on things like military procedure, military planning, strategic planning. Right. You're not the target audience. And so, right. yeah. And so... And I don't know if anybody on this show is. I don't think so. So that might appeal to some anime fans. But it wasn't something that appealed to me. And yeah, the show has got this enormously strong military slant to it. I know that when the show first came out, there were a lot of reviews that very, very strongly condemning sort of the the, the tone of the show. uh, Which go into territory that I don't know if I want to delve into because it's a it's a minefield mm. let's just say that historically the complaints do not mesh with if we line it up with our current history uh, at least that is what walter amos is was talking about when he when uh, <clears throat> he was uh, talking about the show but this is it's a beautiful looking show but there is no way that i can recommend this show 
it is a fascinating sort of disaster to me. Maybe maybe disaster is too too strong a word, but it's a it's it's a fascinating sort of mistake of a show to me. The show like internally the show makes no sense. It is trying very very hard to sort of place this cute girl into this these really sort of violent and cruel situations with just the barest barest sort of justification for it and i don't think the author really did a good job of it the basic premise of it is just weird like the the idea that she has to go through the military kill a lot of people a lot of innocent civilians and with the end result being that she's supposed to find faith and or or somehow deal with this being ex godlike character this is a weird fucking show. Like, I can't, I have a hard time even talking about it. Thinking about it, I mean, I can kind of see maybe the idea of like, oh, you know, putting someone in this horrible situation. Because a lot of times in situations of like fear and, you know, deprivation, like that's when a lot of people turn to religion. So like maybe the idea is like, you know, putting her into this situation, like putting him, her, whatever, into this situation of suffering would be meant to sort of be like a correcting thing, but, you know, this person's enough of an asshole that it doesn't really work. Right. Yeah, I think uh, there's something to be said about, like, the potential, like, audience overlap between a show like this and other similar, like, historical moe kind of titles such as strike witches or Kantai collection right. or things like that i feel like there is wasn't there that other like witch show recently that was also like a historical military thing with witches uh, uh strike witches no 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 not no, strike witches there was another witches. one uh oh oh i think i know this show i heard it was about. like like yuri people were into it but i don't remember the name of oh, it oh right mm, i don't remember either but it's also that and we are in a political environment where a show like this feels much more uncomfortable than it normally would. Right, sure, because you're basically glorifying like this very fascist character. Yes, it's a it's a very sort of totalitarian militaristic environment that she's in. One of right. the episodes is called Deus Volt. I didn't know that the that Deus Volt is a term that the alt right movement has sort of conscripted for themselves. I completely unaware of this mm. until until I believe Crunchyroll posted like a scene of Tanya like yelling this and then a bunch of people were saying like hey why are you doing that this is something that you know the alt right movement is yeah, yeah. using like a whole when lot they, when they like deface a mosque they spray paint deus vault on like the place of worship right right and i was right. completely unaware of this until that was posted i'm sure that the creators of the show are unaware of this as well. Well, yeah, I mean, the term precedes like all those people because, I mean, I, I can tell you, yes, like, it's, a, it's a Roman term. It's been like an evil yeah. organization called Deus Vault in Alpha Protocol, but sure, now, yeah. in the, if you're right. making a show today. Well, I mean, a lot of that stuff that the alt right uses is like pre existing, like Nazi right. or other yeah, yeah. like things. I mean, that was the thing, like, with, you know, Trump and like America First, is America First was a pre existing. You thing, know, thing used from, by that crowd. Right, they're not. They're not yeah. coming up with anything themselves. Right, right. It's, it's all. It's all previously Except taken for things. Memes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which they took those memes already. Those existed. Uh, like that's Pepe true. was already. Pepe was already around. Right, right. Like for years and years. But um, that's something else that it's hard to watch the show in the current environment and not notice those sorts of things. Right. I mean, I remember some similar criticism of Attack on Titan. You know, as well. 
I think uh, Attack on Titan is one of those things where it's sort of like not quite clear because it's not like unequivocally uh, this is the right thing or these people right. are wrong or, you know, what Yeah, I don't you. think it's totally glorifying it. I can it, see uh, because Attack on Titan is about, you know, a very like militarization sort mm-hmm. of idea plus the setting of it being what it is that people can read into it. But the thing is that the more Attack on Titan you read, the more it doesn't really mesh with um you know, a current imagery or iconography or even like an analog right. to the real world. Full Metal Alchemist, by contrast, is very much like you can take this and these events and map it to like something, you know, in our history. Sure. Um, well, but, that was kind of part of point, it, right? Like uh, it was right. actually based on. Correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tanya the Evil is, is one of these things where, like, again, I think that to some extent, some of the early reactions based on the initial episodes were slightly unfounded, but the actual thing it is, is not like it's so much better. Right. No. Well, the thing, that's the thing is that it's, it's hard to figure out what the show wants you to think about the main character mm-hmm. because she's called Tanya the evil. And she does like, like I was mentioning there, like she kills these people like sadistically, like, it's hard for you to ad- admire a character that just goes out there and slaughters a bunch of civilians right. in, like, a really, like, underhanded way. It sounds to me like probably kind of a Breaking Bad situation right. where the main character is not supposed to be a good person. Like, Walter White yes. is not a good person. You're not actually supposed to think that he's correct. But because he's the main character... He's still the protagonist, people, even if like, he's an anti-hero. And so right, and so people do in- take him as being like, oh, like, Walter White is, like, really, you know, the real man that I should aspire to be. And it's like, no... <laughs> Like or like Rorschach in The Watchmen, you know, it's like no, he's not a good person. Like you're not supposed to think right, but that he's he a is cool the one guy. person who's moving the plot forward, and so right. from that side of it, the audience will identify with this person as a true protagonist. Right. And so that's sort of the challenge with these sort of anti-heroes mm-hmm. in uh, our media that seem to be more and more often like the lead characters in our, our yeah. series. And I can completely get behind the the concept of a complex character. Like I don't think we get enough of that now. We get char- like it seems like a character has to be either super fantastic, like good, or completely unbelievably evil. They can't be like in between. Or it's very hard to write a character properly to be in between to make it clear. Uh, the thing is, is that all the cool stuff that happens in this show, Tanya does. Right, right. Right. That's, and the, so, that's the conundrum, right? Because normally yes. if you're portraying an anti-hero, usually the story is about how their actions are their undoing. But yes. in this, and these it's are like, the actions this is how my actions forward. make me awesome. Right. And that was kind of eventually what happened in Breaking Bad, you know, is that it didn't end well. Right. This ends with Tanya basically no worse off than when she started. Mm. And so, again, that conundrum of if they were trying to write an anti-hero, did they do their job? Right. Like, I think what he was trying to do was, was let's write this young girl who is, like, awesomely evil. <clears throat> and people would just enjoy her for just how evil she is. Problem is, of course, I don't think that this writer is sophisticated enough to make that balance or has decided to go with a couple of choices in terms of like story and visuals that 
don't mesh well. Mm. That's why this is, for me, something I don't recommend and for me is a failure, but it's definitely an interesting failure. Now, I think what it's the show needed to really get over its hump is that it needed to be basically once an episode, there should have been somebody who stopped to give a speech about how incredible <laughs> Tanya is. That no one could possibly make that shot with that explosive bullet. <laughs> That uh, this is a one-man army, a uh, one-woman army that mm-hmm. none of us can even, you know, hope to surpass. For they walk above a morality beyond mortals, and, right. and then Tanya would, you know, charge three million dollars per, you know, factory bombing, <laughs> and, and then we would have something. But no, it's not on the Golgo Thirteen level. I'm afraid. Mm. So, so Gerald, is this then basically to you like how I think? Most of us reacted to Code Geass, which was like, this is not good, but it's kind of a fascinating, like, amazing train wreck. It didn't anger me as much as Code Geass? Like, the the thing about the plot of this is that it's not so left field, like, here's something that you didn't see coming. Mm. Like, reliant. Okay. Um, Because, like, the the term I always use is, uh, is swerve which is like a pro wrestling terminology, which is up. We're building this and to expect one thing, but something else happens instead. The problem with that is that if you do that every single time, then people expect that you're going to do something out of nowhere. And then it loses its effectiveness as a storytelling mechanism. And so that's what I think was my like sort of objection to code Geass is that, okay, the swerve would really just be if there's no swerve at all that you just, foreshadow something and then have that happen right but then people get mad if that's what happens well they'll like, say oh i saw that one know, coming with you know, a race like that was the thing is like oh it was so obvious right and i yeah. think that's you know a mistake i think a proper usage of that is to mostly f- set something up and have it play out like how mm-hmm. logic would dictate and then right. maybe once or twice throw in a curveball or the, the swerve that people don't expect because then it's legitimately a surprise. Yeah, I that always frustrates me because I feel like I heard the same complaints with like Soma, the game, that it was like, oh, well, it just did exactly like what it seemed from the beginning that it was going to do. And it's like, well, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like not everything no, like has Soma. to have like a shocking twist. Right. Like that's a perfect yeah. example is M. Night Shyamalan where everyone sort of associates him as being the shocking twist ending guy such mm-hmm. that okay in his recent things he's like the twist is there is no shocking twist it's just going to be i set this up and then pay this off right and that's it yeah because that trick only works if nobody is sitting there saying okay what when are they going to throw me one uh mm-hmm. but yeah like this show is it doesn't feel sophisticated enough like i think that we've discussed the show deeper than i think the, the show ever thought it would it, be you know. <laughs> yes like far more so than yeah than the author ever thought about it. I genuinely think that the author just wanted to write cute lolies in World War Two. That was too iffy, so he said, "Let's just take it to World War One and let let World War One last right. about five years longer." I mean, that seems a little weird though, because there doesn't really seem to have been any hesitance or like criticism of all the previous like Boe Nazi things. Like, it's not like Japan's never done that before. Who knows? Maybe he was just like, well, well, everybody's done World War Two. I'll do World War One. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I don't. I don't have the guy here to, to ask him. Sure, sure. It, it's such a strange thing. Like as soon as I found out what the premise was of the show, I was like, I just have to figure out where the fuck the show is going to go. Right. And what this is going to do with this, and it went pretty much exactly where I thought it was going to go. 
I did not think it was going to be a show that appealed directly to me, and I was right. It mm-hmm. wasn't. If you are a military, a hardcore military otaku type, I think you will get far more out of the show than I did. Yeah, but- I mean, I was pretty fascinated in thinking about watching it just because, like I said, you know, it seemed like such a trashy mm-hmm. show. But then I remembered seeing a whole bunch of people, and a lot of them weren't even like big military otaku, like people that I normally think like have pretty interesting tastes, saying like, "Oh, like this show is actually like strangely entertaining." Which I find interesting because so much of the show was literally people sitting around talking about military strategy. Which, for them, they maybe they like. For me, I was just like, oh, just get on with it. Go somewhere with us. I just kept hitting my head against the wall with the, the, the logic leaps that it takes and the, the decisions that they, ta- they may take. Like, at one point in the show, Tanya uh, does this, like, incredible military maneuver and destroys, like, a whole platoon or something, like, by her, with basically her and her small uh, team of mages. Mm-hmm. And this gets her promoted really well. And she ends up getting a desk job, which seems like that's the goal. Right. And then she goes and then starts suggesting like how they need to improve the military to like her commander. And then the commander is like, well, you should take this on. And she's like, well, uh, okay." And I'm like, what the hell? Like your entire goal was not to be on the front lines and not to do this. And yet you went ahead and did this. Mm-hmm. It, it just it frustrates me that the internal logic of the show does not follow along with the actions of what the main character you would think would, would be. Right. Anyway, that is the saga of Tanya the Evil. If you have watched this show, I'm curious, am I completely missing the point of the show? Am, are you hitting your, your head against you know, your car radio? because They're like, all posting just on 4chan right now as you hear this about how full of shit we are once again. <laughs> Isn't that your whole thing is, is completely missing the point? <laughs> I guess it must be because there, maybe I'm just missing the complete point of this sh- the show. I don't know. I'm pretty sure the point really is just, you know, cute lowly girl yeah, and military stuff. Yeah, I was stuff. pretty certain that I judge the book by its cover, and when I do that, I'm 99% accurate, and I don't think I was 1% off that this was it. This, this wasn't that 1%. This is, what you see is exactly what you are going to get out of the show. Yeah, that is the saga of Tanya the Evil. Do we have anything else that we want to say about this? I guess not. I guess we. I haven't watched it, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically covered it. It is beautiful. Like this must have been a feast for some of the Sakuga fans, because holy crap, some of the animation is just jaw dropping. But as a show itself, just doesn't really hold together. And I, I'm curious now if we're going to get a second season, like how that's going to how the the Americans as named like U.S. citizens is going to go. Right. So they haven't actually announced a second season, right? The show ended in March, so we are getting to this very, very quickly. Right. Yeah, I mean, they take varying amounts of time sometimes to announce another season. Like, sometimes they do it right away, and sometimes it takes Yeah, I think that's sort of like a downside of Japan is that really, like, whenever things are a hit here, they'll announce that second season either as the season is airing or, like, right as the season concludes saying, hey, guess what, there's another season. Like, I thought it was absolutely brilliant and correct to say, hey, Attack on Titan Season 3 will happen next year. So right. that yeah. once it concludes, everyone knows, okay, this is coming. And yeah, way- I mean, 
I definitely understand it in the cases where something is like they didn't really know whether it would be a success or not. Right. So they didn't want to necessarily like go ahead and start putting money and effort into another season. It seems weird that like Attack on Titan was in that situation because with how big the manga was, it seems like they should have anticipated that the anime would be very, very successful. Right. Or you would think that after like 25, 26 weeks that, you know, they could say, oh, look at this. We should do that. Like uh, I we only think just got like not too long ago the announcement that, okay, we'll make more Mr. Osamatsu. Right. Right. When yeah. you, you would have thought that they'd say like, oh, let's announce this that was huge. immediately. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. you know, Yuri on Ice, I think, is another one where, you know, it ended and they said, OK, well, there will be more. Uh, right. And so that was because like, it did so incredibly well. Correct. Like, it sold amazing. Right. But so did Osamatsu. Right. So, and so yeah. you would have thought that, you know, it's, it's just a, a flexibility difference between the right. Japanese production system and the U.S. one. But Tanya the Evil, there, there was no announcement. I would not be surprised if there were a second season, because then how right. else would you justify we ended it this way if we didn't yeah. fully assume there was going to be a continuation? Yeah, I mean, I think it especially, like you said, makes sense in terms of flexibility, given that a lot of times, you know, animators and studios are having to work on a bunch of different things at once. You know, they can't necessarily be dedicated to like one show and so you know they may have a lot of other things already lined up on their plate and then they have to kind of negotiate fitting in uh another season of something whereas i feel like i mean i don't know but i feel like on the american side in terms of live action shows usually like you have kind of a dedicated group that's working on like that show even for the animation things like when voltron legendary defender came out and was immediately like a huge hit netflix was like wow we're ordering another season right now Right. And they're able to do that and uh, I yeah. guess just get the entire, you know, nation of South Korea to work on the show for them <laughs> um, and make it happen. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, um, this this I would I would not be surprised if it came back, but I also would not be expecting to watch it if it came back. Uh, yeah. And I'm curious of what sort of uh, anime fans are really into this sort of this show. It it seems like uh, the the anime fans who are, are kind of the ones who give uh, Twitter a bad right. name. The anime for avatar anime fan. people who are uh, frequently you know involved in any sort of alt right or harassment campaign are like the the people most likely to have either Ori Emo or Tanya the Evil or some sort of uh, anime lowly girl avatar that just gets lumped right. in and associated with all anime because that is the yeah. face of anime fans. Period. Now is, is those people. Right, because right. those people are the most obnoxious. And yeah, so, the most visible. And yeah, like any people. group, the loudest, most annoying people are going to be the ones that give everyone else a bad name. Right. So Including people with lowly avatars that are perfectly fine and don't bother anyone. Right. Yeah, because but, people always are. get very, very upset if you point out that, hey, these people are giving anime fans a bad name. They'll be like, oh, well, how dare you? I'm doing this because... Uh, you know, by how I identify with whatever I say, okay, that's fine. But you have to understand like the greater context of what everyone is not going to see that when they see that you have that avatar, they're going to see right. people else. who aren't in the fandom. Like they don't understand those kind of distinctions and all they see is the really obnoxious people. So all of you out there have been warned. If you do go and watch Tanya, the evil, please let me know what you think of the show. Either on Twitter or send us an email or post on the blog. I get the feeling that we'll just get feedback from people who have already seen the show by the time they hear this episode and want to see what these 
aging clowns have to say about their <laughs> beloved. Right. Rhino. How are we wrong this yes. time? Yeah. I'm sure that's coming. I wonder at this point if the only people listening to us anymore are people that hate listen. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. Okay. I think, uh, I think we've got our, our fan base and that the people, few people, the people who don't like us just wrote us off long ago. <laughs> oh yeah. And aren't listening at all. Hey, we did have one new listener who has been talking to us on Twitter for years and years and years and finally gave the show a shot and liked it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, that is the saga of Tanya the Evil. And uh, that's, this is episode, again, 155 of, of the Anime World Order podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to contact us, please contact us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Post on the blog or message us or, you know, talk to us on Twitter. Uh, if you email us, we'll definitely try to read it. And uh, that's it for us. Yeah.